Well, welcome. This is WNZN Radio coming to you from Lorain, Ohio. Very happy that you tuned in for another program. We are 89.1 FM on your radio station. And as I usually say, if you have any issues with sound, any kind of distortion, just uh, uh, you can live stream us. Go to your your iPhone, your iPad, or I use Electra. And just uh, you can put in www.wnzn.org, wnzn.org. And uh, yeah, hope they have a clear channel today. And again, we're just so grateful for having this station, this platform to get the word of God out and to interview different projects and ministries and people that are making a change in the world for the kingdom of God. So I'm here with my good friend, David Abood. John, hey, great to be here with you yet again. Go another year. Yes. And uh, got some things lined up this coming year, some people we want to talk to that are really uh, really making a significant impact, uh, both in the community and worldwide, uh, in spreading the gospel of Christ, discipleship, meeting practical needs of people in terms of just, uh, you know, people that are hurting, and we can link them up with different services. So having said that, today, uh, what I want to look at, well, back up just a little bit, David, is uh, last week we looked at the benefits of Christianity in the life wow. of an individual. Mm-hmm. And so if a, what does it mean for a person to accept Jesus Christ? What does it mean to accept Jesus Christ? Uh, and you went over that, because I think we closed with the prayer last week, what it meant to receive yes. Christ. Yes. We could do that again today or wow. periodically. But well, we had listed all these benefits, you know, uh, uh, forgiveness, you have peace, you have assurance, uh, you have uh, the ability now to pray effectively, yes. you have community when you're part of fellowship and church. So we went down this whole list yeah. to the individual. You might add, want to add just something yeah. to that before but, we get Adoption into God's family, God's protection and power, um, a new life in Christ, uh, and also, you know, eternal life. That's Once we die. Yeah. The, those are some. One, no, we're over demons. Yeah. Now, that's big. Yeah. In certain parts of the world, that's very important. So right. it's, we got, we're got we loaded with all these benefits that we don't uh, often think about uh, when you think of uh, the benefits. Because it's not often preached or taught the benefits of being a Christian. And then, of course, when you die, you know, the uh, Bible says, I have not seen, ear hath not heard or enter the heart of man with great things God has prepared that for those that love him. And Jesus even said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, that is to say in heaven, yep. you might be also. And that's a pretty powerful, uh, you know, promise to hold on to. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I, I love this verse, 1 John 5, 4 to 5. It says, through faith in Jesus Christ, we obtain the victory that has overcome the world. Right. And so that really... Um, is so important, especially with today's society, with the world conditions, uh, you know, the Middle East situation. Yeah. I mean, th- th- there's really no other answer, Jack. There just you is know? it. You know, he, he, like I say, he checks all the boxes. Sure does. If you really want to look at it. He sure and, does. And that's a, one way to present the gospel. The other way is simply, hey, repent and believe and turn from an old way of life and and have newness of life through Jesus Christ. Okay. So we covered yep. that in the life of an individual Christian. Yep. So today what we're going to look at a little bit is the impact of Christianity and history and culture. How did the life of this one man, literally we're going to see change uh, culture and music and art and uh, medical and hospital. But I wanted to open with this, this rather famous poem 
uh, talking about the life of Jesus. And I just want to read it and show you the impact that this one man had on, uh, you know, history. I mean, we date our calendar by his birthday. Mm -hmm. It says here, born in an obscure village, uh, a child of a peasant woman, he actually grew up in another village where he was worked as a carpenter shop until he was 30. And for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home, never wrote a book, never held a political office, never really had a family of his own, never went to college, never set foot in a big city, never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did any of those things usually accompanied with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. When, while still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. Even one of his best friends denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon the cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only one piece of property he had on him, on earth, and that was his coat. And when he was dead, he was laid in the borrowed grave of a friend. And now, 20 long centuries have come and gone, and today he is still the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I'm far within my mark when I say that all the armies that were ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, all put together, have not affected the lives on this earth as, that, as powerfully as he has, that one solitary life of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we date our calendar yeah. today by his birthday. He changed the whole course of human history. Right. And we're going to look at that, David. How did he change things? You know, I'm just going to we'll launch. I just want to read this one verse. It's in Acts of the Apostles. This is after Jesus was risen from the dead. He's ascended to heaven. The apostles go out preaching the gospel. And here's what this political leader says in verse 6 of chapter 17 in Acts. It says, And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers to the rulers of the city, and they were crying out, These are the men who have turned the world upside down. Mm -hmm. He turned the world upside down. And that's what, in a sense, Jesus has done when we're going to mm -hmm. look at some of these things he's changed. You might have some thoughts on that in terms of the intro on that, David. Well, what, in terms of uh, turning the world upside yeah, down? Yeah, his impact. Gosh, um, you know, I, I think I think the primary thing that uh, that I take away when I think of his character traits is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things, you know, um, I was always under the assumption, at least before I came to the Lord, that an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh -huh. And I was always ready to go after um, somebody that, that was trying to hurt myself or my family. But when I think of him, and I think of the fact that he was the Prince of Peace. Uh, the sword he carried was not a physical sword. It was the sword of the word. And the, and the power of that in the supernatural realm, you know, has taught me that, you know what? You don't need to be physical. You can pray for people. You can use scripture to get you through trials in this world. But the one thing that is so vivid in my mind is when he was on the cross and one of his seven statements was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Versus, you know, having a team of his disciples go out and do vengeance after his death. No, they after that, they converted people after he rose from the grave. 
And now we have Christianity, which has, what, two and a half billion people wow, around the right. globe. But for turning the, uh, the world on its head, everything the way I used to look at it is much different now by walking with him. How I see people, I realize this is not, you know, warfare against my fellow man. It's a supernatural warfare against my enemy. Right. Which is, you know, the enemy, um, Satan, that got pushed out of heaven. There's so many things that we look at differently and that our Christian brothers and sisters are a part of the same body. We're rowing in the same direction and we're supposed to do good, create disciples. Um, and so my previous view of what I was supposed to be doing in this world has changed dramatically. Yeah. And now he's done of that yes. throughout history. What he did in an individual life, he's done throughout history right. and culture. And a lot of it stems uh, from his life and his teaching. I mean, I'm thinking of the Sermon on the Mount, where, yeah. to your point, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 43. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, he's saying that in a Roman empire that's crushing Israel. They're, they're an oppressor force. And he said, love your enemy, bless those that curse you, do good those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute. He switched the whole thing. He sure did. You know, because the normal human response, you push, I shove. Exactly right. You, yeah, you, that's what you I know. And back and forth. And that resolves nothing. It just gets more and more violent and argumentative. But Jesus comes in and says, no, pray for those that misuse you. Do good to those that abuse you. He's changing everything around. Some of these said, you know, he says, you want to be great? Be the least. Be humble. Um, you want to be a, a leader, be a servant. You know, all of these things, like Jesus turns the whole cultural mind shift. Somebody suggested it's like Jesus got in the showroom of life and reversed all the price tags. What he's doing, uh, in my mind, um, you tell me if, if I'm off base on this, but, you know, the world's falling apart. Our faith stands secure on the rocks out, trustworthy promises of God and his word. But by him being the Prince of Peace, by him coming uh, to me and the tools he gave us, it's so that we can do battle in the supernatural mm -hmm. realm. And by us being bitter and and having you know the physical self do battle with the physical self, that's when the enemy can get into our lives. Right. So what Jesus has done is he's giving us a blueprint, in my mind, of how we do battle and can keep shielded the flaming arrows away from the enemy. By his character traits and the nature of how he walked and what he did, he's showing us what we can do to protect ourselves and our family from the supernatural and the enemy. Uh, it, at least that's my opinion. Oh, yeah. Because, again, when you study the Gospels, one of the things Jesus did as well as heal people, but he also set them free from demon, demon oppression, demons. This is very real, uh, even though we live in America and people don't right. think, okay, is there such a thing as the devil and demons? Yeah. yeah, they're real. If you go to most parts of the world, this is a very troublesome, fearful thing. It's here in America. It's not that evident, but it is. But that's one of the things Jesus did is he set people free from superstition. Yeah. And people, uh, I'll give you an example. In some villages in the northern Thailand, if there's an illness or it's not yeah. raining or something is happening, they go to like a witch doctor and he'll say, well, sacrifice get a goat and sacrifice the goat to the spirits and then something will happen. 
Well, the people were always kept in poverty. Yeah. Because they always had to be doing something like this. But you come to Jesus, he sets you free of all that. He says, pray. You don't have to offer sacrifice or do some kind of superstitious thing. He set people free. And that's very liberating in Asia and Africa and South America where these things are very prevalent. And, you know, we're talking about the supernatural again, just given uh, how Jesus operated, because that's the world that he's from. Right? Yeah. Came down from heaven. Ephesians six twelve says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. And the other thing that he, he does is he shows us by following him and the behaviors he has for giving our, those that have trespassed against us, which is in the Our Father, um, he's allowing our, our, our stress, our anxiety, and uh, just the drain of everyday life mm. to be removed from ourselves. Right. When you give it to him, you're a different person, aren't you, John? Yeah. At least I feel like He changes lives. Yeah. He changes cultures. So one of the things, because Jesus had one of his ministries, of course, was a healing ministry. He healed a cripple. He gave sight to the blind. Yeah. And so as a result of this, Christianity through the centuries gave us hospitals yeah. and hospices. And early on in the Christian faith, if you study history, you'll see the origin of many of the hospitals were simply Christians in ancient Rome, let's say. They'd go out and rescue babies, the unwanted babies that were thrown out of the dump. Or they took care of people that might have been just laid to the side of the road. Um, and the, you have the start of the whole hospital. It says here, I'm quoting, the early Christians were the first ones to get the babies from the dumpsters and adopt them, as well as the first ones to open up adoption centers for the children that were rejected from their homes. A lot of times in ancient society, they didn't want a girl. They wanted boys. They wanted success. But the Christians would go out and, and bring these in. Now, I saw this. 20 centuries later, when I was in Northern Thailand, a good friend of mine, Avis Rideout, she went to the hospital. This was 30 years ago. And back then, when little babies were infected with HIV AIDS, you know, from the mother, they got, they were pretty much left to die. They didn't have a lot. And she saw a baby that was in the hospital, and they said, well, they're just, just this little baby's going to die. And she says, can I take it home? And they went through some paperwork. and yeah. But anyhow, she, that baby, she took and cared for that little baby. The baby lived. Today, she's got a home for all these AIDS-affected babies, and they're living to be teenagers and adults now, you know? And yeah. that, that, that what motivated her was Christ. That's yeah. my point. You can do good works, but when you study hospitals, it, look at this. It was decreed beginning in the fourth century that every church built a corresponding hospital mm -hmm. to be built next to it. So you'd have a church building, next would be a hospital or hospice. Today, many of the hospitals we visit are named after Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, uh, Baptist Health Center, St. Vincent, Red Cross. All of these come from, you can trace them back to Jesus yeah. and his care for the poor right. and the sick. Right. And, you know, back in the days of Christ, hospitals and physical treatments were reserved strictly for the slaves, Roman gladiators, soldiers, and the rich. It was through his compassion of, of Jesus' followers that the average working class started receiving help. Yeah, right. So he, you're right, he just turned it all around. So all of a sudden people are, yeah. because why? Because one of the things the Christian faith does, it puts a lot of value on a human life. Mm -hmm. You know, we're made in the image of God. Jesus came and he died for all men. So all of a sudden the individual, whether you're young or old, you have value. You have value. 
and that's why even America, we we incorporate this in in the in the Bill of Rights where we say all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights for life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Well, where does that come from? No other government in the that comes from God. It comes from Genesis, where it talks about that we're made special in the image of God. And man has, reason man is so valuable, number one, he's made in the image of God. Now that image is flawed because of the fall, all of sinning. But the other reason men are, uh, human beings are valuable is Jesus died for them. Died for, for God so loved the world. And number three, every human being's got an eternal destiny. Mm-hmm. And so they're very valuable. They're not like a a tree yeah. or a squirrel or something like this. So what Jesus comes and he shows you the value of the most marginalized. And that's what he'll, he touches the leper and heals him. See, I'm back then, a rabbi was not supposed to touch a leprous person anymore than he was supposed to touch a corpse, a dead person. Jesus did. And what he does that, he's showing that this person, this leprous person is valuable. I can touch him. I can heal him. He's giving great value to the person that couldn't give him anything in return. He reaches out to Bartimaeus, a beggar, on the side of the road. Okay. He says, well, what do you want? And he says, I want my eyesight. And, of course, Jesus says, okay. So he stops for the beggar. Yeah. He touches the leper. He reaches out to the widow woman with the issue of blood. Um, he, he really comes and, he, again, he, he shows not just the individual but society how to live. Yes, how to love. Yeah. Uh, how to love, and uh, you know, it's um, it's a, it's such a new world when you realize you're not you're not fighting against your neighbor or worldly things. Mm-hmm. That 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 was the big difference for me, Jack. Yeah. On top of all these things we're going to talk about today and what Christianity has done, but it's kind of a it's kind of a new way to live. Yeah. You know, we are in a new race by following him. Um. So. Yeah. So one of the ways Jesus affected history and culture uh, for 2,000 years was this whole care for the sick, mm-hmm. care for the elderly, care for the orphan. And again, think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. How the guy goes out of his way. He wasn't related to that Samaritan, but he, he reached out to him and, you know, he took care of him. It cost him some time. It cost him a little bit of money. Yeah. But he showed why this poor guy that was beaten up by robbers on the side of the road was valuable. And so Jesus, that's why even today we have laws, good Samaritan laws, where you're protected. If you go help somebody that's injured, you are doing an act of mercy. You're, even our country has good Samaritan laws that you can, you know, you can help. And again, it shows the value that, that it's in culture now. It's in, it's in our law system. Care. They say you can measure how advanced a civilization or a culture is, is how well they take care of their least uh, strong or the least of the of your yeah. population group, right. the real older, elderly, physically challenged, mentally handicapped, or the real young that can't protect themselves. The way a society takes care of those groups uh, comes from uh, Christianity and the value of the individual. That's why we're trending as a country yeah. that we don't care for the real little ones. You know, we killed 60 million babies since Roe versus Wade was passed in nineteen early 1970s. And now more and more like Canada, they have euthanasia where they're allowing uh, suicide-assisted, you know, deaths. Uh, you know, people want to die and the doctors will come in and give them a shot. But, I mean, they're talking, see what we're doing to the marginalized, the suffering, the youngest, the oldest, the weakest, killing her. That's not, 
that's not what Jesus taught. Yeah, I mean, if we look at Genesis one twenty six, it says, "Let us make man in our image and our likeness." So that was something that I I really struggled with to think somebody I couldn't stand yeah. was just like me, yeah. created in God's image, whether I like that individual, uh, what or not. And I think that's how Jesus really turned things upside down, right? Yeah. So that we look at everybody as an equal created in the image of God. Yeah. And if they're not good people, we can pray for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what he says. This was a life changer. Yeah, he says, pray for your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Right. What's his first comment on the cross? Father, forgive them. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. So he he lived what he taught. He I guess what I can say that. He lived what he taught, and here's how he opens his ministry in Luke chapter 4. He gets the scroll, he opens it up, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me, what? To preach good news to who? The poor. Mm-hmm. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of the sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he opens his ministry by really changing society and changing culture by looking at the weakest, those that are in prison, those that are crippled, those that are blind, those that are poor, people that have nothing, God recognizes. And that's going to be incorporated when you look at the Think of the Red Cross. Think of the YMCA. Yeah, you know, where do these institutions come from? Well, a lot of them were come because of a motive uh, that Jesus set in motion way back there in 2,000 years ago. You know. Well, that, that's the other thing. What we talk about, as you said, how he turned the world upside down. He was focused on these people. Yeah. He was focused on these babies that were getting thrown away. He was focused on people with disabilities. He was focused on people with disease. He he brought women into the yeah, picture. That was big. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was very big. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Yeah. To, that world back there, the Greek and Roman mm-hmm. world, women were viewed as property. Yeah. And Jesus really elevates women. Um, it's very interesting that uh, the first person at the empty grave was a woman with the good news of the gospel, you know. Um, they were the last at the cross, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of the women that were at the foot of the cross. And Jesus elevates women. As an interesting side note, if you study the Gospels, you can't find where Jesus highly criticized a single woman. He might say to Martha, you busy yourself with many things, or he'll say at the woman at the well, bring your husband. He says, you know, you don't have a husband right now. You've been living with this guy. But he doesn't scold them or rebuke them, and he does he with the scribes and the Pharisees, because he elevates women. He elevates the status of women, and that's why he'll, he, in so doing, he elevates marriage. See, this is another thing Christianity oh, yeah. brought into into culture is the sanctity of marriage and and the sacredness of the sexuality. And this is why Amer- the culture today is going haywire because we don't realize from what was the first thing God instituted when He created Adam and Eve. The two shall become one, and they shall bring children into the world. That's his pattern. That's his, and Jesus affirmed this uh, time and again. And if so much of society breakdown is because of the breakdown of the family. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, you know, yeah. So that, yeah, he gave us a higher view of sexuality and right. marriage. And he, he, you know, was quoted as saying, What God has joined together, let no man separate. So, he influenced sexual immorality and brought dignity and honor to the marriage institution. Big time. And he taught us how to live with the opposite sex. Exactly right. You know, he goes through that, you know. Yeah. 
Um, so Give yourself, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives honor your uh, your husband, affirm mm-hmm. them, yeah. and 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 so do it. Look, if we had strong marriages without adultery and infidelity, you would reduce almost a hundred percent all these sexually transmitted diseases. <laughs> Think about it. There would be you would be in a safe zone because not all this promiscuity and all this stuff. Right. It would just within a generation you would have you would you would reduce it almost down to zero. But because mankind and culture has broken all those norms that, as you just quoted Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man, we, we, we've broken that, yeah. that union and for our own protection, God gave us that and for blessing. And now it's just all of these things are going rampant and they can't understand all these diseases are out there and new ones are happening and all this because we're not following God's plan that Jesus affirmed in the gospels for our own benefit. You know, it's, it's like crazy. Yeah, and he also said, be fruitful and multiply, right? When he yeah. created Adam and Eve. And now you're seeing dual income, dinks they call them. Yeah. A dual income uh, relationships where these couples are just living together but not getting married. Dual income, no kids. Right. Right. No kids. So what we've seen from an average of what, three to five uh, per family, we're down to like one and a half That's per family in the U.S.? So, you know, it, it's, and then let alone you're living in sin. Yeah. So, um, yeah, th- that's the thing that's really sad, but. Um, well, yeah, I mean, Jesus preached holiness, and then, of course, he taught us how to raise children. Yeah. If you're an admonition of the Lord. That's a big one. It's uh, about how he viewed children and how he focused on them. Matthew 18, 2 to 5 says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. And he also said, allow the little children to come to me. In yep. other words, he embrace them. And he says, woe unto those that would mislead this little child. Better a millstone was put around your neck and you're cast mm-hmm. into the sea. And when I was in Israel, I saw those millstones. They're like heavy-duty weights yeah. with a circle hole. And he said, you don't hurt these little ones, you know, whether mislead them or hurt them or pedophilia or all this stuff they're watching now that adults make this movies and all these like found of freedom that are hurting these little children and witchcraft and everything else and he's saying this is a terrible thing and it shows you a culture that's out of alignment the more we come in alignment and and follow what jesus instructions Mm -hmm. the more we're going to flourish the more we're going to have a sound society and a big big problem we're going to do a whole show on this david is the absence of the father yeah see the father is out of the home either literally out of the home uh abandons the woman with little children. Number two, emotionally out of the home or spiritually out of the home. He's not taking the lead to be the spiritual head of the home and instruct his children in the ways of the Lord. Now, this is a problem all across ethnicity and races because when the father's out of the home, especially for a young man, unless he gets a good coach or a pastor or some kind of male figure, he doesn't, he, he, you have to learn manhood, you know, and, that, and it's, it's just a problem. Because, again, we're not following the instructions that Jesus laid down for us. Yeah, I mean, um, children who grow up in a single-parent home are twice as likely to be the subject of physical and or emotional abuse. That's American Children, 1997 edition. In addition, the absence of a father results in an increased psychological burden on the child as he or she must make sense of why his or her father is not present. 
Um, it just, uh, it, it does not promote, uh, when you think of all the children in the world and what great things they could be yeah, up right. with an intact family structure um, versus the other, you know, going into gangs, getting into addictions, not becoming what they could become. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's so much information on that out there. It's sad. So that's another area where Jesus really elevated things was the whole thing of marriage. And again, um, right from the very beginning mm -hmm. in Genesis, you see this idea of marriage, the husband and the wife. And then it's like a metaphor, a symbol in the Old Testament where God relates to Israel like a husband and a wife. And that's why you'll see with Hosea and these other books where it talks about how Israel's gone away from God and broken their marriage relationship. And then when Jesus comes, of course, he's known as the, the bridegroom and the church is known as the bride. So you see that marriage continues through the whole Old and New Testament, that, that metaphor. And then in the, in the book of Revelation, you see what's called the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Mm -hmm. It culminates in like a wedding celebration. You know, so you see that arc that goes all the way through when it talks about the sanctity of marriage. And if once you understand it, you see that that's why the Bible is so hard against adultery, fornication, bestiality, Paul, you know, sodomy, any, any of these things, it's against because the marriage unit is so, is so Christ-like, if I can say that. You know, it's God's pattern that he has established through all the pages. So then we move from there to the whole thing with literacy, uh, with books. Well, one of the things is, of course, the, the, the life of Jesus is based on the Gospels. And, of mm -hmm. course, the Gospels were shared through writing. The, early, the, the Gospels yeah. were written in Greek. Then they were translated to Latin. And then you have the epistles. And this was widespread all throughout the Middle East and the later centuries up into Europe. As a matter of fact, the first printing press, Johannes Gutenberg, in 1468, first book he published was what? The Bible. Yeah. You know, it was the first book ever uh, printed. And um, that was that, that, that shows you Christianity will have a big influence on literacy, uh, teaching people how to read. Even today, when Bible translators go to another country like Indonesia, mm -hmm or the Pacific Islands, where people don't really have books or right. a Bible, they'll start figuring out their language, and they'll write it down, and then they'll start making the Bible, let's say the Gospel of Mark, and teaching them how to read it, and you'll see the whole change in the culture. you see it all change, you know. It, you know, uh, so you're right. I mean, if we look at the Guinness World Records, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time with over 5 billion copies sold and distributed around the world. Five billion. Five billion. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the, the Bible is is the foundation stone of Western civilization. Our laws are based on that. Uh, human rights are based on the Bible. Uh, many, many of these things, you know, even though we even when we say you're presumed innocent until proven guilty, that comes from a biblical kind of a principle there. You know, so um, the things against perjury, against theft, against, uh, uh, you know, uh, covetous, you know, all of these things, where are they coming from? They just don't come out of the air. Uh, they've been revealed to us through the scriptures. But uh, one of them is this whole idea of literacy, books, and um, why, why did Europe, you know, why is there such a, when you look at education, the early colleges, Cambridge, Oxford, 
And then America, like Princeton, Harvard, Brown, these were all meant for like to be seminaries. These were places where men would go to get educated in the Bible, and then you would learn philosophy, and then they would medicine and all this. But they were originally made uh, to share the the Bible and to instruct instruct people in the you know the whole thing that the Bible was bringing forth. But all our great universities. That's why if you go there today, uh, you look at a plaque at the front of let's say Harvard. It's in yeah. Latin, Veritas, or the in Latin, the truth shall set you free. Or it's got some kind of scriptural motto that uh, recognizes the university. Yeah, so I'll just read a couple things to your point. Kindergarten originated from a Christian man named Friedrich Froebel. Graded levels of education, first grade, second grade, etc., came from Johann Sturm, who was also a Christian, who thought that advancing to the next level would be a reward for his students. And it was Christian men and women who pioneered formal education systems for the blind and deaf, too. Yeah, right. So, man. So you see you see that's kind of, uh, because, why? Because Jesus says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. So the Christian faith was built not just spiritually, but also upon the mind, that we can, we can, we can elevate the mind yeah. through learning, through reading, with shared knowledge. That, again, that comes from the Christian faith. Now, now as a result of that, all culture is going to be lifted, and we're going to see that even in the arts. If you look at the famous artists like Michelangelo, oh, yeah. Raphael, mm-hmm. Rembrandt, all of the many, many of these people are strong Christians, but they believe that their art was an expression of the talent God gave them. In other words, art reflected the beauty of God, the beauty yeah. of nature. So <laughs> you cannot not see this stuff once you look at it. And it all goes back to this one man. In the Renaissance period was an explosion of Christian-influenced artwork. You look at Leonardo's Last Supper, it's hailed as one of the most magnificent paintings in the history of the world. Right. Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel of St. Peter's in Rome. It's universally acclaimed for its greatness and influence. Then you have Rembrandt who's considered one of the greatest visual artists in human history. He including he included several biblical paintings that are among the finest works ever created. Yes, so not, look at the cathedrals. Yep. They're all works of art. Are they not? I mean, when you go yeah, into them, absolutely. where does that come from? You know, you keep taking it back into the person of Jesus Christ. You've got to almost ask yourself, why did this man influence the world for good? Why did it? And people might say, well, what about the Crusades or the Spanish Inquisition? But they're, they're not following the, the Jesus. You see, they're going off, off, off center. Remember, Jesus said in front of Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight. Yes. Remember, but Peter took out the sword and cut the, mm-hmm. the priest, high priest, servant's ear off. Jesus says, put the sword away. So our, our, the Christian faith has never been about violence or compulsion. Yes. We don't say to go into a country, you better convert or you're going to get killed. We don't say that. We don't do that because Jesus never said we should do that. We just offer the gospel. If you want to receive it, fine. If you don't, okay. So this is interesting, David. Wherever you go in the world, let's say where you have a Judeo-Christian-based country. Now, I'm not saying any country is all Christian for sure, but you go to someplace like, you can tell like, okay, Saudi Arabia is a Muslim-based country, right? Uh, India is a Hindu-based country. But if you go to Canada, America, New England, I mean, England, 
Australia, they tend to be Judeo-Christian-based countries. Those countries tend to have a lot of freedom and allow other religions to come in. You can have, like Cleveland has a mosque over here. We have a Buddhist temple over there. We have a whatever. You know, we don't persecute other religions or other peoples because, but if you go to these other countries, they will. You can't bring Christianity into a lot of these countries or set up a church or a Christian bookstore. This is the reason why we say in missions, light does not fear darkness, yeah. but darkness fears the light. Amen. And so if you have a Judeo-Christian country, they're living in the light of the gospel, they will allow others to come in that are not true, yeah. quite honestly, but they allow that freedom. And we would never, whenever Christianity takes up the sword, it's wrong. And that's, it gives it a bad name. That's why we have no compulsion, you know, accept Jesus Christ. We believe this or you're going to be killed, or you're going to put you in prison. And when that happens in history, it's wrong, because you cannot take that back to the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. It's you know, a very important point. But when I think, when I think about uh, before uh, I started following Christ 14-some years ago, for me, it was, uh, who's hurting me? Yeah. And what am I physically going to do to them, uh, to hurt them? And so what... what what, what drove that is pride, ego, um, and the human self. So my, my soul was just sitting there probably watching this whole thing, but I wasn't a Christian. Right. So even when you look at a lot of the, the war uh, confrontations, it's over land, it's over um, uh, legal disputes, it's over personality disputes, and... What Christ does is he comes in and says, all of, all of that is nonsense. Right. You're letting the enemy drive your life and your conflicts. There's a much better way. And, and, and my way gets you to eternal life. And it also gives you a ton of freedom. Right. While you're living here on the earth, waiting to get your eternal life. Sure. The freedom you get by being unburdened with pride, ego, confrontation with flesh um, against flesh is really the one of the key benefits. Yeah, right. At least that I that I feel has changed my life. It's just a lot easier to pray for somebody than to physically say, I'm going to do battle, because that wears on you over time. It, it wears on you mentally, physically, and it also distracts you from the path that he wants you on. Oh, yeah, because people yeah. that get involved with, guilt, yeah. unforgiveness, or yeah. carrying a grudge, it really eats at the person too, and it doesn't let them be free. Let them live life and life as it's supposed to be, and unforgiveness is a big, big issue. That's right. And so, uh, again, going back to Jesus, he says, forgive those that offend you, and pray for those that despitefully use you. And, and when we do that, we're really releasing a lot, because there's so many lives around us today. Marriages are broken, friendships are broken, People hold a grudge. Uh, families, you see that happen. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be if we're following Jesus Christ. You know, and let's go back to our founding fathers. Christianity created the foundation for America. The American Declaration of Independence is a direct link with Christian influence in many ways. Nowhere has there been a better example of liberty and justice than in the United States. Thirty-nine men... Um, that signed the American Constitution, most of them were professing Christians. Right. So, um, and, and now we look at today's world, and it's almost like we want to go back there. 
and bring those founding fathers in to say, please advise oh. our government body about the roots of our country. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We, Chip, we're so far. Wow. And, you know. We, we've taken prayer out of the schools. You know, I remember, you know, when I grew up, right before you started every class, boom. So, you know, you'd pray. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a big thing. Look what has happened since we've taken prayer out of schools. We had our, what, 267th mass shooting, something along those lines, right? uh, at the end of last year. Boy. We've come, uh, yeah, because why? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says that the fear of God, if we lose the fear of God, and this happened in ancient Israel, he's reading about the Old Testament, when they yep. drifted away from God, troubles came. And what happens is society starts unraveling. And people start saying, what happened? What happened? What's going on? And you see that even with our politicians. They don't treat each other with respect. You know, there's name-calling. Uh, there's all this criticizing, digging up dirt on them and all of this stuff. It's not, that's our leaders, you know. And so, again, it's not, I'm not saying they're all going to be Christ-like, but there should be a certain decorum or a certain way we, we treat each other. And this seems to be going more, yeah. more because our, our society is getting further and further away from God and the person and teachings of Jesus Christ. You know, um, when I think about heaven and earth, you know, you've said this to me a lot. A lot of people in the secular world think that this is their heaven. Yeah. So they're going to embrace everything possible uh, that the world has to offer to get pleasure. We did Ecclesiastes and we looked at King Solomon. Right. And his... Um, uh, him inviting us to look at what he experienced, spending as much money as he could on himself for pleasure. Right. And at the end of the day, he wound up saying the only thing that's worthwhile is following and taking Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The rest of it is a rat race. It's a game. Um, and it's meaningless. Yeah, it's like the Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens, yeah. Scrooge. He had money. He owned this factory, yeah. this printing press, whatever. And but he was miserable. He just had a big house, creaky old house. He would go. He was alone, and then it was revealed to him. Remember, these spirits came mm -hmm. and showed up. Is this really where your life is? No, it, it changed because it says no. And it became really. He repented. He became very Christ-like in a sense. He gave yeah. away money. He helped the poor. He changed his life. Um, you'll see this happening. It's a redemptive story. It can happen for a society. I'll give you an example. Um, in World War II, um, the Japanese came into Thailand yeah. and into China, uh -huh. and missionaries had to get out of there quick they, because American or British, they just had to flee. And we couldn't get back in that country, parts of North uh, Thailand, Burma, parts of China, and they didn't know what it was going to be like when we could finally get back in there. This was the 60s. Remember China opened up with Richard Nixon, mm -hmm. ping pong diplomacy and all that. Well, this missionary group went up in the mountains where they remember a village that all these people used to smoke opium in that. It was really a problem over there. And the kids were poor and the men would basically die real young just smoking opium. And here they went into this village and they were planting crops. They weren't smoking opium. They weren't getting drunk. They were raising the children. They had a little school. They go, what happened? Who was here? Because it was in lockdown. They go, what happened is during the war, Two Burmese missionaries, Christians, came over the border, brought the gospel, the head sheep of the village and others accepted Christ, and it changed the whole culture 
of that village. It's what's called a cultural lift. Mm -hmm. See, when the gospel comes in like that, it lifts people, families. Men were staying together with their wives and helped raise the children. They were planting crops. They were saving money. They were helping the poor. You see, now where the gospel is now, you'll see the exact opposite. I mean, it's Pleasantville when you're walking with Christ. It's not going to be... you know, every single day, and we've said this before, it's not like you're not going to have challenges right, in life. Right. Before Jesus ascended, he made it clear, you will have challenges in this world, but I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Right. So we're following him, but can you imagine if if the leaders of the world pulled together and had attributes and character traits and we were all a Christian? Oh, sure. The, the incredible things we could accomplish the peace, it would be heaven on earth. Oh, yeah. It no would doubt. be heaven on earth in the real term. Yeah. Not with, you know, just spending all your money like King Solomon did to get pleasure. Right. No, you're right. Yeah. Because you would be well-ordered. Mm-hmm. You'd be following the will of God and the will of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you'd be, you know, a bit, I, again, I come back to marriages would be solid. You'd be helping the poor, uh, helping the poor become not mm-hmm. poor, you know, just not encouraging them to stay poor, but showing them, a trade or a skill, right? You would be you would be sharing with others in need. Mm-hmm. You'd be enjoying life. That's right. Music and literature and art, the way God intended. Now, I mean, right now we have the capability. Man has the capability of making this whole planet just a big smoking piece of charcoal. Mm-hmm. We have that many nuclear weapons, and God gave us all this beauty of oceans and forest and jungle and food and friends and family. And look at what we're, what are we doing? What are we going to give him back? I know. You know what I'm saying? But that but Jesus came, and Jesus came, and He changed everything. If we'll follow Him, if we'll follow Him as an individual, He'll empower you uh, to be free from guilt, to have peace, but also have influence. You can become an ambassador for Jesus Christ, and you can touch lives for the better. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you're a um, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, a doctor, an entrepreneur, a retired person, a teenager at high school. you If you're following Jesus Christ, you're going to be touching other lives. And you're going to be pointing them in the right direction. And that's powerful. That is very, very powerful. Um, I think the biggest thing is that of freedom you get with this and the burden that you had previously of the world, uh, of your life, of your... Um, you know, work effort, it is, it really removes you. The The, the chains come on. Yeah, right. Exactly. There's no other way to explain it to people. And, you know, and, and they think, what are you, a Jesus creek? What are you talking right. about? How is that possible? Are you, is he going to go to work for me the next day? He'll be with you. Yeah. The Holy Spirit will be with you. And yes, that day can go much easier. And you also could be in a position where you are bringing disciples to exactly. in your work field at your church, in your community center, wherever you live, whatever you do. I mean, you know, I, I told you um, when I first met you, I couldn't believe how God has blessed you and Marie and these other missionaries. And you're focused on the main thing, which is doing God's will. So if all of us do that, and, you know, if it's a decent portion of our life, the way we think, the way we act, the way we interact with other people, you won't believe how change your life. We're, we're trying to give you uh, the secret 
It is. That's the light. It is really. There's no other way to say it. It answers all the questions. Why am I here? What's my purpose? That's it. Um, you know, How do I raise my children? Where am I going? Right. What's going to happen? I bet at the deathbed, like my right. brother. Yeah. He, he was alive, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I was with him. And he was a believer, and he, he didn't he was have happy, fear, right? Yeah, well, he, was, he didn't want to. I mean, oh, sure, he didn't want to. He didn't die. have that morbid fear, right? He didn't, you know, he lived a life that glorified God. We didn't always live like that, but yeah. he, I've been with others Christians who do, because Jesus is the only one whose grave is empty. Yeah, he answers life's biggest mystery, biggest fear, biggest inevitability. We're all going to die, one hundred percent guaranteed. <laughs> we don't know when, but if you trust in somebody that's called the resurrection and the life. That's what I used to tell when I was a missionary in Thailand and villages. I go, if you're going to put your trust in somebody, not somebody whose name is the resurrection and the life. No kidding. He answered, nobody other teacher, the Buddha, Muhammad, none of yeah. them can answer that. But you go, he, there's an empty tomb. He's, he says, because I live, you shall also live. Yeah. What more do you want? He says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you might be there also. Mm-hmm. So you got a life here. But then you got to like that. This is just first grade and second yeah. grade. You know, David, we're just a short span of time. Put one to a hundred. There, you know, or you go look at a tombstone. You see the date they were born, a dash, and the date they died. That life is a dash. It's just a little dash. Okay. The Bible calls it a vapor, just a little puff of smoke, this this lifetime we have. But in this lifetime, maybe somebody's listening right now. We're going to have to bring the yeah. show to a close in a second. But maybe you never even thought about mm-hmm. this. But I, one thing I don't understand, David, is why people do not question life core and existence. Like, why am I here? Why is there something rather than nothing? What's going to happen to me when I die? What's the best way that I can raise my children? All of these questions are answered. They're answered. answered. Not just yeah. intellectually, but you can put it in, you can see the results. When you pray, 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 you see things happen. When you influence other people, and all of a sudden they quit drinking yeah, or they quit pornography and they want to serve Christ. That's powerful. Now, just real quick now, a couple other things, of course, that happened uh, was music. Mm-hmm. The influence of Jesus yeah. and Christianity on music throughout all the ages. You know, you think of people like uh, um, Bach, you know, and, and, and all of these kind of, oh, just think of like we just came through Christmas. Look at some of those things. Oh, Holy Night, yeah. Silent Night, Hark the Herald Leader. Even unbelievers like those songs. Amazing Grace by John Newton to this yeah. day is considered one of the greatest music musical hymns ever written. Right. But the influence on music. This is another thing. People don't really about the Christian faith. We have music. You know, most religions do not have music. I'm serious. Man, think yeah. about it. I not what a relevant. We Well, I mean, they I, might have some songs or something, but not like we have in terms of the hymns. And beautiful songs, How Great Thou Art, yeah. uh, you know, Near My God to Thee, Amazing Grace. We have music. I mean, where does that come from? Yeah. It comes from Jesus. Yep. We have a reason to sing. You know, it comes from the Psalms, too, but the, that idea of we, we celebrate and we worship God with song. Um, look at social reform. Before, a lot of times, people would go to prison, debtor's prison, because they, they couldn't pay a debt. Yeah. We can't do that. Today. You can you can work off you. You don't mm-hmm. throw a guy in prison. Look at slavery was abolished, but a lot of the slavery was abolished. Was like William Wilberforce right. was a Christian man, a very strong Christian mm-hmm. man in Great Britain, and stopped the slave trade. Look at uh, child uh, widow Bertie. Often in India, the, when the man died, the woman was mm-hmm. considered like property. She would go in the same funeral pyre 
when he was being cremated. They used to flip by little girls in China because they thought it was a sign of beauty. That was a liminator. Uh, opium trade, you know, things like unbelievable change, social reform happened. And again, it goes back to the person of Jesus Christ. It's like somebody said this. In, in the first century, there was, a, there was something seismic happened in the first century in northern Israel, in the Galilee. Something happened. Yeah. And we're still feeling the repercussions of that today. It's like when you throw a big stone in the middle of a still pond and it goes, it crashes in and the waves come all the way out to the shore. There was a big stone dropped in world history in the first century. It was Jesus Christ. And the ripples of that ah. is why we're having this radio station today. The reason lives are being changed today. The reason we see answer to prayer and the gospel's going out to the ends of the earth, you know, and I'm just grateful for this radio station, you know, WNCF. Yeah. And we have a platform yes. to share the gospel like we do today to encourage people to look at the evidence. If you never became a Christian or know what it is, um, again, just mm -hmm. look at the evidence, you know, get a Bible, pray about it. And I encourage people just start with the gospel of John, one chapter a day, or go to a nearby church that preaches the gospel. Right. Uh, try, you know, there's. <laughs> There's a lot of good resources out there that you can access and find out more about the Christian faith. I don't think anybody in America is is limited from getting access to the Christian faith, whether it's a church, radio, stop at a bookstore, get a book by C.S. Lewis, get a, pick up a little Bible, New Testament. It's not like that in other parts of the world. We have tremendous light, gospel light in this country, which is it's bad when we turn our back on that light. It's not a good thing. We could be judged for that. Yeah. Because we've been given so much light. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the urgency that you have shown me in your life, you know, I'm starting to feel it. And the urgency is to let people know, you know, in history, you, you hear, you've heard of the Holy Grail. Right. You know, everybody's still looking for it. Where is it? Yeah. I got to tell you. The Bible's right in front of you. Yeah. You want to target something you can grab and get right away to change your life? It's right there. Exactly right. It's right there. I mean, it'd be great if we found the Holy Grail. You know, there's some great stuff in there from history. You know, everybody's talked about that for a while. You look at Indiana Jones and all these other movies. The Bible's right here. Yeah. It's the treasure. It's not going anywhere. It's the treasure. Yeah. It, it really is a treasure. Uh, that you can easily acquire. Yeah. Um, so don't wait on it. You know, I, I think my biggest concern for everybody, thank God that he knocked me off my path or who knows, you know, I could have just, uh, I could have been in a position where my family and I never found the Lord. Yeah. And what a sad situation. We see so many people like yeah. that, dude. And it's so close to us. People have to, we'll close on this. People have to ask themselves, What's keeping me from the Bible? Yeah. Because if you study the parable in Matthew 13, when the word of God goes out, remember the seed lays on top of the mm -hmm. ground, and Jesus says, birds come and take mm -hmm. it away. And later he explains the birds are demons. The enemy, the Satan doesn't want you accessing that Bible. You right. become too powerful. Right. You do. But people should ask themselves if they're listening to this, you know, the start of this new year, mm -hmm. if you're if something's keeping you away from the Bible yeah. or opening up its pages, like I said to the Gospel of John, Ask yourself, what is keeping me from it? What's keeping me from it? And then just go against your feelings. And like David said, open it up. Yeah. Open it up. Mm -hmm. Most of us have not been raised on the Bible. Yeah. I'm just saying it straight up. But once you get into it, 
It will enrich you. It's bread. It's a compass. It's a light to my path. It's a sword. It's 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 all these things. The Bible's not going anywhere. It's yeah. the best-selling book in the world. Yeah. It's the most translated. It's the most loved. It's the most hated. It's the most studied. Fill in the blank. It bears witness, you know, and you should pick it up. So having said that, we once again appreciate everybody tuning in. We got some special shifts yeah. coming up uh, and uh, some special guests. We want to feature some ministries, David, that are coming up in the, in the, sure. in, in the near future. So mm-hmm. thank you again. This is WNZ Radio coming to you from Lorain, Ohio. Have a blessed day. God bless everybody. And, you know, um, when we take a look at the Bible, I'll tell you, it's the best self-help book in the world. There you go. Great way to end it. God bless you all. Amen.